Hello and welcome to Eureka Nerd. I am Will Davis, staying up late. And I'm Leah Richards, using all the swears, especially the seven that Ofcom likes the least. We went through all of the new and approved swears, and boy howdy, there's a stinger in there. Find out which on the Ofcom website, but don't tell them that we sent you. Or at least don't then use it in any sort of broadcast media. You might be wondering, what has any of this to do with science? And it is tangentially, because after the last episode was, you know, for the children, this one is for grown-ups. Grown-up advice, mostly about booze. Yeah, so any kids who are listening to this, any children, young'uns, stop. Stop listening now. We appreciate your custom, we appreciate you being here, but maybe go try one of the other episodes where we talk about lobster guts or something. And also later we're going to be discussing some like really dull politics stuff. Oh so. yeah, like it's going to be so boring, you're not even going to want to be here. So you can just... Literally the only way it could get more boring and grown up is if we started talking about mortgages or which roads we use to get here. So I think we have bored all the children. Are you still listening? Okay, if you're still listening... And you're a kid. Last chance. I love the idea that you think our usual content is interesting enough for children to want to listen. We did that one about vaping. Yeah, see, I still have trouble thinking of vaping as being a thing that the kids are into, in spite of when I was still working in my retail job, sitting on the till watching a bunch of 14-year-olds sharing one of their dad's vape pen that they'd stolen. I mean, I know, I know years and years of campaigns have focused on how smoking is not cool, but it does look cooler than vaping. It smells more gross, but also smelling like a giant cloud of jelly beans is also, it's kind of uncool. Like, if you walk past a bunch of kids and they all reek to high heaven of links, then that's one thing. If they all smell of processed sugar, because of, you know, them cottony clouds... It's always the worst crossing paths with someone who's just exhaled a big vapey cloud of, like, salted caramel flavour or something, and you're just like, I'm drowning and also sticky. Maybe they should do savoury flavours so you can get, like, the everlasting gobstopper version. No, wait, it was the full meal in chewing gum. Mm. So you get, like, a curry goat flavoured vape and uh, mashed potato flavour. I'm not sure how you'd tell the difference between a curried goat flavoured vape and walking down Stokescroft full stop, honestly. There's some good food happening on our road, that's true. So much good food. Okay, so we've definitely bored all the children away by this point. <laughs> okay, so if you're listening to this, you've got to be a grown-up because you've got to have been used to people kind of chatting nonsense this much in your day-to-day -day life, so you're ready for us to tell you all of the cool science. Such as the grape-derived compounds which may promote resilience against depression. Does that mean wine for your health? This may be a recurring theme throughout the episode. This is not as such about wine. They've fed their collection of lab mice on two specific compounds derived from grapes in a way that doesn't involve fermenting them and turning them delicious. And I'm glad we're doing this one at the start of the episode because, you know, it's an alcoholic episode. We're drinking as well. And I'd hate to try and be drunk and get my tongue around dihydrocaffeic acid and maldivin 3O. Probably 3O, glucoside or malgluc. The study indicates these compounds may have some therapeutic applications for depression by targeting underlying mechanisms of the disease. Depression, another thing to make sure that we are boring and for grown-ups. <laughs> because it comes part and parcel. When you're grown-up, you get to drink and be sad. I definitely experienced depression as a seven-year-old, so... Uh. 
Because if you treat depression as it is, as an illness, an affliction in the brain, and not just, oh, are you, are you depressed? Oh yeah, I felt real sad once as well, which is not the same thing. But yeah, the actual mechanism, the biological structures, they highlight here inflammation and peripheral immune system, lymph nodes, chemical and electrical signaling between neurons, and that's where a lot of other antidepressants are currently active, regulating serotonin and dopamine and other neurotransmitters. Yes, the ones I've got target uh, noradrenaline as well as serotonin. Perk you right up. Or chill you right out, depending on whatever action they're doing. I'm a depressive with an anxiety disorder, so chilling me out a little bit is quite useful. We've got some nice statistics in this press release about incidents of depression from the US Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Their stats suggest that annually approximately 16 million people in the US have a major depressive episode. Yikes. Conventional pharmacological treatments are estimated to produce temporary remission in less than 50% of patients and let me tell you the side effects of some of those drugs are just the worst. Kind of comparable to the disease they're trying to treat. Yeah. In terms of severity and what you have to go through. The number of things I've been on that made me feel just worse, rather than at all better. Mm. It's not ideal. And we'd like to clarify at this point that this story does not mean that eating grapes will cure a depression, much like all the mum end of Facebook things. Grapes are grapes, and sure, you can derive cures for disease from natural occurring compounds, but that doesn't mean that eating more blueberries will cure your cancer. And while we absolutely advocate for treating your depression with behaviour changes, such as leaving the house sometimes, doing some exercise, that sort of thing, it's not going to cure you all by itself. As healthy a life as you can live. The two compounds we previously mentioned can promote resilience against depression in mice, modulating inflammation and synaptic plasticity. Dihydrocaffeic acid, or DHCA for short, reduces interleukin-6, or IL-6, which is something that your T-cells, your immune system, secrete to attract an immune response, and by bringing some of that down, then you can reduce inflammation and hopefully ease up some of the pressure on tissues around, and Malgluck, which had the much longer name, and I'm not going to repeat it, modulates histone acetylation of the RAC1 gene, which is to say that it changes expression of DNA and activators of genes, which then increase transcription in the brain, more DNA, more cell activity in the brain, which influences genes responsible for synaptic plasticity. So, to sum up that whole chain of effect on effect on effect, having more of this grape-derived compound means that the cells in your brain are producing more of the stuff to make them flexible, to make them more productive as well, and that seems to have an effect on the depression-like symptoms in mice models. These particularly being depressive symptoms induced by stress, which is, I'd guess, the reason for a majority of depression. Some of them you've just got the switch, but other things it is in reaction to some sort of stress in your life, be that unhappy things happening to you, being stuck in a rubbish job or a rubbish relationship. They're all factors, and they all induce stress. So tackling that with a grape-derived compound could be the way of treating depression in the future. Until then, we will advocate, because it is now only grown-ups are listening to this, a glass of wine. 
unless you're the sort of person who's um, someone who has an addiction to alcohol or someone who finds that drinking can lead to an emotional hangover as well as the regular kind. Drinking within reason. Drinking as much as is personally appropriate, personally sensible to do. And for a lot of people, apparently, according to our next article from the University of Rochester Medical Centre, a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of wine especially, might be just what your brain needs to keep ticking over. This study is looking at low levels of alcohol consumption that are analogous to about two and a half drinks a day in a human. Unfortunately, that's also the level at which a lot of other studies have shown other alcohol-associated health problems start to come in. So... I think the advice remains the same. If you're going to drink, which you don't have to, don't drink to excess, don't drink every day. Which comes back to that story we covered last time with the chronic alcohol use linked to early death in, was it Sweden? Yes, it was Sweden, but it was teenage alcohol drinking linked to earlier onset of health problems. They do warn... Prolonged intake of excessive amounts of ethanol is known to have adverse effects on the central nervous system. A quote there from Mikan Nadegaard, MD, DMSC, co-director of the Centre for Translational Neuromedicine at the University of Rochester Medical Centre. And that's probably the most diplomatic way of putting too much alcohol for too long is bad for you. However, in this study, they've found that a low level of alcohol consumption helps with the brain's waste disposal system, the glymphatic system, which was first described by Nadegaard and her colleagues in 2012, involves cerebral spinal fluid being pumped into brain tissue to flush away waste, including proteins that are associated with various forms of dementia. They do highlight here Alzheimer's especially being something that builds up from amyloid plaques. They kind of just clogs up your brain and then if not sparks the disease onset is directly responsible for the reduced cognition and dementia that comes with it pumping up your cerebral spinal fluid flushing all of that out of the way makes sense that it would help but this is of course only using mouse models for now they're not saying go out and enjoy some on us this is research towards first steps towards an eventual possible human recommendation based on the research which they're still doing but it is maybe a little bit of an excuse to have a glass of red tonight. As with all things, moderation seems to be the key. And whilst we are drinking a fancy little cocktail ourselves... It's not officially a cocktail, it's only got two ingredients. Put some ice cubes in, would the water make it a cocktail? No. What about an umbrella? I think it's for tax reasons, but it might also be for, like, weights and measures reasons. If it has three ingredients that are that you will consume then it's technically a cocktail. So if you dropped a little bit of grenadine or something in there, or some juice... Join us later for a cocktail class. For now, <laughs> it's the wine course. Uh, Louisiana State University, in fact, endorse red wine for heart conditions. Well, not exactly endorse. Again, research that is leading towards first steps, which is leading and towards health recommendations. And not exactly wine. This is research focusing on antioxidant compounds that are found in red wine, and particularly in incorporating them in a little piece of... Do you call it surgical hardware? Yeah, grafting. It's part of the surgical yeah, intervention it's, it's to manage a, heart disease. A little bit of surgical hardware called a stent, which is a sort of a tube inserted into a venal artery to reinforce it. It looks quite a lot like garden hose, the cross-diamond effect. 
And apparently, for, I mean, somewhat inexplicable reason, and maybe it's time to stop using them, commercial stents can release chemotherapy agents that are toxic and can cause the blood vessel to narrow again, i.e. exactly the thing that you've just done surgery to undo. However, if you use antioxidants derived from red wine, such as resveratrol, which has come up in a lot of health research, people saying that resveratrol will do all kinds of wonders for your cardiovascular health, and quercetin, which is a new one on me, I'll have to read a bit more about that, deploying those into the stent during angioplasty, the process of cracking someone open and having a poke about to fix their heart stuff, is going to improve blood flow to the kidneys, stomach, arms, legs... Anything that you're trying to get more access to by putting a stent to open up that channel and increase blood flow around your body. And if you are a heart surgeon and would like to give us a better description of your job than cracking someone open and fiddling about to fix their heart stuff, do get in touch. That's EurekaNerdCast at gmail.com or at EurekaNerdCast on Twitter. Do we know any surgeons? We don't know any surgeons. We know a bunch of doctors and pre-doctors, but I don't think any of them are the medical flavour. There was that one heart surgeon guy at a science show-off a couple of months back who was he was very enthusiastic about being a heart surgeon and being a doctor, not so much about telling anyone what he did specifically. Yeah, pro tip, if you are coming along to a science communication event to do some science communication and your piece ends with, but that's too complicated to explain, you don't actually understand it well enough, soz. What is it they sound drag race? No tea, no shade? Something like that, yeah. Like, I'm sure he's a perfectly nice guy and a very competent person, but that is not how you communicate the science. That's the opposite of communicating the science. So yes, if you are a crack people open and have a poke about kind of a guy, or gal, or other, then at EurekaNerdCast at gmail.com. Especially if you are a gal or otherwise non-guy who does the cracking people open, fiddling about with them to fix their heart stuff, because... As we have mentioned recently, seeing inspirational women inspires kids to follow STEM careers. And whilst we've already clarified there will be no children listening to this episode, children, if you're just tuning in now, go away, (laughs) not for you, then maybe we can be a way of getting the message out there, or help you find your own ways of getting the message out there. Because if you want to sit around and talk about press releases, uh, that's our turf. Speaking of turf, we can head down to the bottom of the garden and have a look at our next press release. This time we're moving away from wine and cocktails, more to the beery end of things, with a compound derived from hops that shows promise for metabolic syndrome patients. When you say down to the bottom of the garden, are you referencing the hop that my mum actually has growing in the bottom border of the garden? We also had hops growing up against the fence at the back end of our garden. Spooky. I thought you were going to make a Poddington Peas reference, if I'm being entirely honest. Damn, I love that show. (laughs) Will the Poddington Peas be used in research, I wonder? Maybe there's a pea-derived compound that'll be good for something. I feel like since they're rebooting so many other kids' shows from the last 20 or so years, that one's a prime candidate, right? Oh, imagine if there's like a grimdark version of Nog in the Nog, and it's just like Vikings. On to the hops. The hops can likely improve cognitive and other functions in people with metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome being... A bit of a catch-all term, really. A bit of a, an umbrella term for people who are exhibiting at least two of the following conditions. Abdominal obesity, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, low levels of good cholesterol, and high levels of triglycerides. Apparently this accounts for 35% of the US adult population, which I can imagine. 
which I am also. Oh, the condition is also associated with cos- cognitive dysfunction and dementia, as well as being, well, they say a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. I'd suggest like a precursor. I mean, it's all part and parcel with the obesity, blood sugar. If you're considered pre-diabetic, that's because your blood sugar's all out of whack, right? Yeah, it's... To think of one disease accounting for 35% of the American population, that's a lot of people. It's got to cover a lot of bases. But anyway, the research from Oregon State University was led by Fred Stevens and Jacob Raber and focused on xanthohumol, or XN for short, a prenylated flavonoid from hops, and two of its hydrogenated derivatives, DXN and TXN. This is a very sciencey way of talking about beer. No, this is not as such a compound that's found in beers after the processing of the hop that goes into that. But one of the problems with XN, which has previously been shown to potentially be an effective treatment for metabolic syndrome, is that it transforms into a phytoestrogen. Any of our listeners who are on the pill might be aware of the major unfortunate side effect of estrogen as a hormone, which is that it does things like giving you breast cancer once in a while. Regarding listeners who went back and listened to our Versus Breast Cancer episode will remember that we talked a lot about estrogen receptors and targeting estrogen with breast cancer treatments. It's the reason eating lots of soy products is associated with a higher rate of breast cancer because, again, there are phytoestrogens in soybeans. As well as potentially causing breast cancer, it can also cause endometriosis, which I'm reliably informed absolutely sucks. And a quote here from Fred Stevens. A double bond in the XN molecule is responsible for that 8PN, the phytoestrogen metabolism, to be possible. So if we can get rid of that double bond by hydrogenating the molecule, then that metabolite cannot be formed anymore. We're talking some chemistry here. So if we hydrogenate the molecule, if we change some of the bonds on it, then maybe we stop that metabolism process of turning XN into the phytoestrogen that causes the disease, head that off at the pass, reduce the disease occurrence later on. And indeed, in their mouse models, the XN itself improved glucose tolerance, insulin resistance, and sensitivity to leptin, which is a hormone that helps tell you when you've had enough to eat. And its hydrogenated derivatives did that too, without the unfortunate estrogenic side effect. Leptin mice are great fun to look at. (laughs) Big fluffy fun. They're so round. So yeah, if you can tackle insulin resistance and appetite and glucose intolerance, that sounds like you're hitting a lot of the key markers for that metabolic disease we mentioned at the top of the article. And then that carries through into improved cognition as well. Testing mice in a water maze which is fine for mice. It's not like the water temple from Legend of Zelda or anything. It's just a little damp maze that they can paddle around in and get to food by taking a couple of different branching paths. Yeah, mice are quite good swimmers. It's not a problem for them. (laughs) They found that XN and its derivatives uh, improved spatial learning and memory, or at least reduced the impact on spatial learning and memory caused by a high-fat diet that the mice were being fed. And Jacob Reber chimes in at the end of the article to say our findings with rodents suggest it may be possible to reduce or even prevent learning and memory impairments through a derivative of the same chemical compound found in beer. I'll drink to that. But whilst we're drinking to beer, someone somewhere in the world right now, apparently, is drinking bottled water to save their life. 
or even make their life longer. According to University of Waterloo, bottled water sales fueled by desire for immortality. This is a subconscious mechanism, the fear ticked off subconsciously by many bottled water adverts. Projecting this idea of, you know, the young and vital drinking bottled water, and you can join them drinking bottled water too, which drives Canadians, in this example, to buy billions of litres of water annually. And Canada's got a lot of water. Lakes full of the stuff. <laughs> and apparently, by doing some just good marketing, tapping into that fear of death, he can drive people to buy lots and lots and lots of bottled water. Whereas campaigns trying to suggest that people don't buy bottled water save their dollars and fill up a reusable bottle out of the tap are not competing. And you can see how that bears out with a lot of other marketing and a lot of other things in the world generally, that saving the world in the long-term sort of way by doing a small, simple change, people do not latch onto that. But being young and living forever and being one of the cool kids and the mm, dodge death, live young... Oh, that's a, something you can do right now, is go out and buy that water and be 14 for 20 years or whatever. And the team at the University of Waterloo assess the psychological impact of marketing and perceptions of water sale with something called the Terror Management Theory as their framework, which is a great phrase and I would love to hear all about it. And TMT not TMNT, that's a different thing, researchers argue that people's efforts to repress conscious and unconscious fears of death generate specific defences that influence behaviours such as consumption choices, accumulation of wealth, and status security. So being scared of death will make you do stuff to avoid being dead. Checks out to me. I wonder if this includes fizzy water. Because there's a whole thing about fizzy water being better for you. According to whom? Everywhere I go in Europe, people drink lots and lots of fizzy water. I mean, I know, like, San Pellegrino is a thing, but I didn't know it was because fizzy water is supposed to be more healthy. I mean, it tastes like death. I know, and yet, fizzy water apparently is outstripping sales of soda in the US, which is boggling. That's probably better for their teeth, mind. Yeah. Sorry, American dentists. <laughs> I know, the amount of sugar they put into vitamin water. 50 Cent signed off on that, and I do not think that reflects on any good health choices for him. Because he got shot in the mouth. He should be looking after his teeth. If the water has got carbon dioxide dissolved in it anyway, it is going to slowly dissolve your teeth. Well, according to uh, certain members of the current White House administration, carbon dioxide is good for everything, right? We're getting political. But speaking of things that have got carbon dioxide dissolved in them, things that are fizzy... The science behind the fizz, how bubbles make the beverage, from the American Chemical Society. And if anyone's going to know about chemicals, it's going to be them. Now, unfortunately, this press release neglects to tell us much about what the study has found. I'd like to know, are we going to get a better tasting beverage with a higher sugar content? Are we going to get a, a smoother drink with baking soda in it? And as a bit of background, they do say, carbonated beverages are popular with dozens on the market in the US. I'd go as far as to suggest hundreds. Because there's actually loads of little kind of microbrewery, if that's the right term, lots of little independent sellers of carbonated beverage in America, which we certainly don't have in England. The closest thing I can think of is Iron Brew. In our student union, who was it? 
like Ubuntu cola or something, the recipe was open source. How could a recipe be open source? The ingredients are on the back. Ah, but not the exact quantities. Oh, this is making me think of all those uh, weird Eastern European energy drinks. You know the one. <laughs> the one with the name that we uh, wouldn't be able to broadcast or would earn us an explicit tag. Yes. As much as we want the kids to go away, we do not want that sticker on the podcast. So we've withheld from the swearing. Uh, we're going to withhold from saying this energy drink's name as well, but it is out there. If you've been on the internet, you've probably encountered it. If you know, you know. <laughs> They're looking at the effect of carbonation on the creaminess and smoothness of beverage. And I've had a creamy, fizzy beverage before, and it was weird. Like a, a fizzy milkshake. But on the other hand, the difference between, say, cracking open a bottle of cola, which is quite sharply fizzy, and the very smooth, tiny bubbles of nice champagne. The team from the American Chemical Society set up simulations of champagnes, colas, and club sodas to examine how fast carbon dioxide diffused within solutions, and if additives like alcohol, sugar, or baking soda would increase or decrease the rate of diffusion, whether that would affect long-term fizziness. Because if it goes flat, then that's not fun for anyone. Maybe they are working towards developing the ultimate fizz. Something not too harsh, not too flat, but with like the long lasting, refreshing sensation. So, really expensive champagne. I don't know. I've never had really expensive champagne. We had that one night in Manchester. It was pretty sick. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I've ever actually had, like, champagne champagne either. Yeah, most of my fizzy wine drinking has been Carver. But that night it was definitely champagne. Felt like a rock star. Well, if in some future, where we are not yet all in giant robot suits and we haven't lost our tongues for some kind of chemical sensor of a nose and giant thresher moors of teeth, then maybe we too can enjoy the ultimate in fizzy drinks. But for now, it's just us here. We're coming to the end of our cocktails. Not cocktails for legal reasons. A few more quick stories before you go. This one, also of a certain uh, ingestible liquid variety, the Tea Party movement in America. Remember them? They paved the way for racialized language in US politics. You know, because they go around being racist all the time. Uh, do it. I love how this is talking about shifting the Republican Party's identity away from its traditional conservative ax- axioms to one that is more nativist and racially tinged. Being nativist in the US, like white people... Trying to claim they're native in the US is it never not hysterical. Native Americans are right there. Despite your best efforts. Mm. And finally, better knowledge of evolution leads to greater acceptance of the concept. The more you know. It helps to understand a concept if you want to believe in it. But there's also a good point for any science communicators out there understanding does not equal being told about it. Like, you can shout into a cave all you want, but the bats ain't gonna learn. Will the bats learn? That's one for another episode. They'll learn something, but um, if they don't speak the same language as you, it's very difficult for them to internalise concepts like survival of the fittest. And on that anthropological note, what's the the thing for the study of bats? 
chiropterology. And on that chiropterologist note, that's about all from us for this episode. And again, if you are a child who's listened to all of this, naughty. If you are a grown-up who's listened to all of this, thanks. And if you want to let us know that you've listened to all of it and enjoyed it, you can contact us via email or on Twitter. And leave an iTunes review as well, which you should, again, only be able to do if you are a grown-up. Not a tiny child, at least. I think most places will let you sign up when you're 14. Most internet comments I've seen do look like they're typed by tiny children, actually, so... It's difficult to type properly when you're furious. This is true. Tell you what, if you leave some proof of information in your iTunes reviews, like a credit card number, uh, sort code, account number, highly, security I information... I highly do not recommend that. Don't listen to him. Or you can. That's a choice for you. Just give us your date of birth and your star sign. Oh, yeah, we can do some horoscopes. Yeah, give us the date and time of your birth and we'll run it through one of those online birth chart generators. and Give you your Eureka Nerd horoscope. Yeah, yeah, it'll mostly be like, I don't know, it's in space. Yeah? Virgo, the stars move above you, changing your life not one bit. <laughs> your lucky number is three. And on that note, you've been listening to Eureka Nerd. I've been Will. I've been Leah. And we're out. Bye.